0: On Monday the 20th of March 2023, amidst a national shutdown in South Africa, local author Mputumin Tabeni met up with Simon Sebag Montefiore in a quiet nook at the book lounge in Cape Town to discuss Simon's exquisite new book, The World. The World is a fresh and original history of humanity, and like any previous world history, it uses family, the one thing all humans have in common, to tell the story. In his new book, Simon steers us through an interconnected world via palace intrigues, love affairs, and family lives, linking grand themes of war, migration, plague, religion, medicine, and technology to the people at the heart of the human drama. It features a cast of extraordinary span and diversity. The world is a celebration that takes the human story from caves to drones in a single narrative by a master storyteller. We hope you enjoy this episode. Of Pagecast.
1: Welcome to South Africa, Simon. Great, great to see you, and great to see you again. I mean, it's a few years since we were together in Johannesburg, right?
2: Yes, yes, at the Kingsmead Festival. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that
1: was a formative, um, formative uh, conversation for me in many ways. But anyway, it was. I really enjoyed it. So, how nice to be reunited!
2: It's so wonderful, also, to see that. You have uh, come true to your promise because you did hint to me the other time that you are writing something bigger this time. <laughs> yeah, when I, I said, did. When I said your books are always big and you said this time is going to be even bigger than the rest. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Not that size matters. No,
2: it never does. <laughs> so perhaps the ladies will have another op- opinion about that. But yeah, um, uh, let me first of all say to you I am astounded at the depth and the comprehensive manner in which you have written the history of the world. This is not my first book on the topic, but what uh, amazes me on this one is the personal angle you took, and then especially when you talk about the families, the dynasties that made our world as we know it. Tell us a little bit, Why? how did you decide which families to choose? And uh, yeah, just generally the, the, the depth of your research on it. You say it, you, it's a synthesis of your world travels and uh, how you have uh, read history throughout the years. But tell us more how you, you, you chose to, the structure of the book in
1: particular. Well, I mean, the, the idea of the book, a Family, a Family History of the World, was an attempt to deal with two problems or characteristics of um, history books. Either you have world histories that are filled with migrations and inventions and great, great divergences and convergences, but the humans are often missing, or you have biographies where you have a biography of uh, one person that sometimes is as long as 2,000, 3,000 pages multi multi-volume, especially if it's an American president. And so I wanted to find a way to put the human Angle back into um, into world history, but at the same time capture the sort of the, the sort of uh, intimacy of of biography, and I was trying to think of a way to do that, and then I realised that family is the answer. Family is what's in common, and providing um, I didn't lose sight of the big movements of history, um, it could work, and so the idea is this is this is a world history, but told through individuals and families, with the span of world history but the juice of biography, that's well, the idea.
2: Yeah, and it was a, a very interesting angle that you did. And it made for me, at least this reader, very easy to read because I found that there was a narrative behind the history that I'm seeking. Sometimes a little bit chronologically, but sometimes it's always the theme, the families and all that stuff. And another thing I liked most about your book, I mean most uh, books that are called the uh, so-called world history. It's always you find that is an excuse for then, you know, Western imperialism, gays and all that stuff. you find that they, they talk mostly about the European history and then American history at most. And then the other the other continents don't exist. This is what I love most about this about this book. The Americas is there. The Euro Asia, even Africa features very well and all that stuff. And also, which I think perhaps will make uh, even the Feminist in all of us very glad, how you chose women leaders also. So were you trying to be woke or you just happened to be interested in all these
1: topics? Woke? I I don't know what that (laughs) word means. I've never heard it before. But this is the book that I always wanted to write, actually, um, regardless of its time. I mean, I think think the key point for any of us um, writing... Um, historical fiction, all, all history books, is ridding ourselves or freeing ourselves of the straitjacket of any ideologies. So I hope that this is free of that. But of course, it reflects the interests of our time too, as all books do, mm. as all mm. writers do. Mm. And so, yes, I mean, I really wanted this book. With the Americas, I wanted us to meet the, Amer- the people in the Americas before they met the Spanish mm-hmm, conquistadors. Mm-hmm. In Africa, I wanted people, I wanted the reader to meet Africa centuries ago millennia before, before the Portuguese before the and, Portuguese the, English and the English came yeah. and that's and that's in here and that was really important to me. I should also say not to uh, it's or blushes but but you yourself talking to you was influential in this book wow. and I'm not just buttering you up because you <laughs> happen to be I'm having this conversation with me <laughs> but I know you won't be satisfied with the way I've covered some of your subjects, but the fact that they're in there mm. is is because of you. Yeah. just want to tell you that, you just know, for the, your interest.
2: I'm, I'm flattered. <laughs> <laughs> but also, what I wanted to say, it's as if you took the words out of my mouth. You are actually the first uh, historian, and I, 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 in a way I include even South African historian, who introduces this concept because it always irritates me for instance i'm gonna divert that a little bit Do. that the the people think in fact was because was caused by chaga yeah. and you an outside historian are saying uh to this which i know to be true like for instance the Tlubi people the Lubi people came to the eastern cape fleeing from the case long before even chaga was born and most historians, even here in South Africa, haven't caught up to that. Yeah. And you, I, you you did, and I was very, very impressed by that. Thank you. God, that's uh, <laughs> a compliment. Wow, that's a compliment from you. <laughs> but then uh, moving forward on, on, on that, the other thing you talk about, which also I liked about your book, is how nations, especially successful nations, have been formed by people's migration from one region to another. And then I think about it, especially in our country. There's, our country has been blighted by the idea of xenophobia. And then I think also in Europe, your country, UK, most European countries now are becoming radically nationalistic, and they are very uh, kind of uh, don't like the the immigrants anymore because they feel they are taking their jobs and all that stuff and all that. You come in this book for me. It's as it's as if I don't know if I read you right. You are on the side of the immigrant and you are saying but if you want your country to prosper also you must be like a very open to, to immigration because that is how the brains come together, a human brains that is am I reading you right? Yeah
1: you are reading really me right I mean all of, all of our peoples are created by, there's no pure peoples, there's no pure families yes. and all of our peoples are created by migrations, migrations are the sort of basis for the wealth of countries and the ingenuity of countries and the creativity of countries, on the other hand Migrations can overwhelm countries yes, too. Yes. You know, that, that may be a problem. In history, the cleverest states have kind of encompassed those migrations and found a way to include them. When we're talking about empires, for example, I mean, in the book I say you know, the most successful empires are the ones that were the most open. The more tolerant the empire was, the longer it lasted. The less tolerant, the less long it lasted, you know, which is why the Roman Empire made every single person in the Roman Empire a citizen. This was very good statesmanship. The Nazi Empire lasted three years because they excluded everybody, mm. you know, is one reason. But migrations migrations are partly, I mean, partly what we're talking about is, is the nature of nation-states, mm. which nowadays everyone thinks that nation-states are the best way to organise a, a state. Yeah. Yeah. But an empire is the evil way of organising a state. But nation-states have a problem because when you create a nation, you create a history that, that tells us that, first of all, promotes the promote the idea of that nation, which is often an invented concept. And another disadvantage of it is when you create a nation state, yes, it's a wonderful way of organising a state, but if you're not a member of the nation, you have to leave. You're Mm -hmm. excluded. And of course, that's why the creation of all nation states in modern times have led to massive civil wars, and especially in Africa. Not here in South Africa, remarkably, but yeah, the rest why, of Africa.
2: Yeah, that's why they call us the Rainbow Nation, yeah. which we're not living up very well into.
1: It. Not today, because today's, <laughs> today's the day of the supposed revolution.
2: Yeah, well, everybody has a revolution or the other in this country, so yeah. we all have our delusions of grandeur, but we're not there. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another thing that fascinated me about your book, if I, I must say also, is, and you taught me something on this one, Because I thought I knew the African history. And how the Obamas, which is the father of Barack Obama, on how his father actually was part of the product that was a program that was started by Kwame Krumman after the independence of Ghana. I did not know that. And I was so much fascinated on how you linked all that up to the Roosevelt. Can you talk about that for Yeah, me? well, I just think it's fascinating.
1: <clears throat> you know, when I was thinking about how this book would work with the families, mm. there were various families that I thought about. And one of them was it was Obama, because his father, the link with Nkrumah, the link with Kennedy, who funded some of the the program, the link with Kenyatta, who's a fascinating and giant figure Mm -hmm. in the book. I mean, obviously, you know, one of the challenges of this book is to what to include and what not to include. I
2: know, I know. And I, I know
1: that interests you.
2: Yeah, yeah, because I was thinking, hmm, he talks about, which is very interesting, as I said, about Kenyatta and all those rest. And then there was so much of the African leaders that were there. And then we have your Petrus Lumumba, you have your, even like, for instance, not only African, but the leaders that became uh, very prominent in African history, including even uh, Franz Fanon, yeah. and Franz Fanon was there. And then I was thinking to myself, there are these conspiracy theories that almost all of them died of the similar kind of way, which some people I choose as the CIA for. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I just, what I wanted to do was to be, to be very clear in this book, that Africa was so present, and yeah. that Africa is so important, yeah. and the way that African states were formed in, yeah. by the by the colonial powers and also by their own agency and will, mm. but and how the states developed, and of course I was doing that through personalities. So the Obama one is a very good one. The Kenyattas, mm. of course, I couldn't do everybody. So I, I loved Haile Selassie. Yeah. So he's a big character, and Ethiopia is a big, obviously hugely important in the book. Yeah. Especially since Ethiopia was the only country that. Totally, totally defeated, uh, a European power yeah. in battle—hook, <laughs> line, and sinker—which yeah. is quite something.
2: I love how ironic and uh, like demolishing the Western condescension on that topic. But in any case, yeah, I was thinking myself. But some I left out. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. But I was, yeah, I was thinking myself that uh, you talk about the DRC, the Congo. The history of that country is too complicated. Yes. It probably would have taken the whole two chapters for you to explain how what happened from Lomumba and all that. Yeah, all I mean, I, d-
1: I decided not to because it's way too complicated. No one understands yeah. it. What I actually want, but Lomumba is in there, but he's in a footnote. I know. Yeah, yeah. And his death, and actually there's new information now about his murder uh, by the Belgian Secret Service, which is, so that's kind of really interesting. But of course, Congo, Congo is a continent yes. in, itself. Yeah, in itself. And yeah, right. what I wanted to do was to make sure that the war at the Great, Congo War, the Great African War, Mm. and the losses in that war is recognized in Western readers. That was my main mission with Congo. And also that Congo was, you know, as a state is a is a massive construct. Mm -hmm. It is very hard to rule. Yeah, Um, it has even happened Maybe impossible Impossible. to rule. But what I wanted people to realize was the sort of losses. One of the themes of the book is that, like, you know, we all know about, you know, when 20 people are killed in Europe, we know about it. Mm. But When a million people are killed in Congo, no one's heard of it. So I I wanted to, but it's it's not just to do with Africa. I mean, the Iraq-Iran war is another example of this. So it's not just about, it's not just an African question, but, my mission as a historian was to make sure everyone counts.
2: Yeah. And to be fair to you, you do deal with it through King Leopold of Belgium yeah. and all that yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. But then moving on, another thing that I, I really liked on the book, in, especially in these world books that you never see, is the um, neglect of the slave story yes. in, in the historical uh, narrative and then you do it so well you show how it was actually not just prominent but at the center even of uh, how the 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 capitalist and western civilization progressed can you like uh, explain to yeah. us your 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 thinking in, in mm-hmm. that and why you decided that okay the others since they don't have, you said why I, I choose you of trying to be woke, but in a very good way. <laughs> uh, I, I'll, I'll take it as a compliment. No, I, I still don't
1: know what that word means. Um, but um, I, think, I think, you know, all books we've we talked about earlier kind of ref, always reflect the time. And of course, so slavery is a time when we are rediscovering or discovering slavery in, in historiography. And so, of course, slavery is is very, is very important. But actually, it should have been, it should have been much more prominent Mm. in earlier histories because it's such a huge part, and I I had never realised this until I researched it relatively recently, that slavery was such a huge part of world history, world society. I mean, virtually the first document in ancient Sumeria, sort of, you know, thousands of years before Christ, was about slavery. Mm. I think there's been slavery as long as there's been, at least since there's been organised war. Yes. Because, you know, that's where you catch a large numbers of people... So I, I realized that slavery was, we had to understand slavery. You can't understand world history without slavery. Of course, there are many different slave trades or nexuses of slave trade. And there's not just the Atlantic, the Atlantic African yeah. there's trade. There's
2: an African African one. There's an African, so there's, Africa, all, so there's a huge African African yes. one.
1: There's an East African Indian Ocean one. There's an Arab there's, African there's an one. An Arab there's African an Arab African one, one, and so on. And there's a Black Sea Mediterranean yeah. one. Mm. And there's a Russian Mediterranean Black Sea one. Mm. And all of them are in this book, and they're all in their context. They're not exaggerated, but they're as important as they should be. And that mm. was that was my aim. So I'm really glad that you appreciate it. And it yes. is fascinating, isn't it?
2: Yes, yes. And it, it gives, actually, a very non mm. uh, idea of how the history of the world actually progressed, especially the history of uh, mercantilism, yeah. which up to capitalism, which is where we were. And then, actually, which brings us to this point, I also want to make you say that, but whenever they found that uh, they were doing something, let's say something wrong, there would be an, an ideology accompanying it. And then during those times, they, they came up with Christianity uh, to explain the, the moral aspects and then actually not to explain, but to use the religion itself as a way of a kind of saying but. Oh well it's always been there yeah. and then it's part of religion it does not mean that we are bad people of course my understanding of that is not even really that that was christianity is what uh, per, perhaps uh, soren Kierkegaard would call christendom yeah. it is the use of the religion dog, from yes. imperialism yeah. and then capitalism but the point i'm trying to make now which i, I, I will, i'll give you a chance to answer that but uh, personally, I don't. We, we, I'm allowed to talk about personal things here. I'm also. I'm a Christian, we're a Roman Catholic, and I, I, as much as I know the, the damage Christianity itself did to our people as Africans in particular, and my people in in particular, caused during the 20th and the 19th century, but I also know that there was a a certain goodness into it. The the, the Christian missionaries had a a, a Janus face kind of uh, approach when it came to Amaklosu. Because immediately we we lost our land and were defeated in the battlefield. We used the weapons that they gave us, which is education, to fight back. And then in the end, it's how we actually gained our freedom. And it's even if for now we haven't gained back our cattle and land. But... My point is, how do you talk about the, the, the complexities of, of these issues, like uh, especially from myself, uh, perhaps if you can help me?
1: Uh, yeah, well, it's a conundrum, isn't it? It's a, conundrum. <laughs> it's a huge conundrum, and you've, you've kind of explained it um, very well. But I mean, I mean, I think the thing, the, you know, on one sense, it was it was being used by capitalism, probably, but... In another sense, these were believers who believed they were doing they were doing the right thing, and they were fanatical Christians. These mm. these evangelicals, people like Livingston. Mm. I think it's another way to look at it. It's like when you go back to the Crusades, mm. and you say you say the Crusades. Did they really believe this stuff, or were they just going to great to get greed, you know, to greedily mm. uh, make fortunes, or were they going to? win new kingdoms or, or, or what was it was it was it one or the other and actually it's all of them mm. you know they saw no contradiction between these things mm.
2: but also another thing and and now I'm going to talk also again in in the South African aspect as much as most of them were hypocritical people but there were people like uh, for instance uh, Theodorus van der Kemp was a Dutch missionary mm. he was against slavery he was against uh, using black people for for white labor and all and all those things and all those things even when it was uh, not fashionable and as a result he became an enemy of other white settlers at that stage they they ended up even exiling him yeah. so my my point is that uh, it's it, history is much more complex and complicated and it doesn't do us any service to just paint it with one blanket understand, which is my problem with the current people who call themselves activists, who want to use history as a weapon of politics. I mean, and, and now I'm talking about both Conservatives white conservatives, and both those who call themselves progressive so does does, does that does that thing of uh, this misuse of history trouble you
1: yeah it really does and its of course it's one of the themes of the book. yeah it comes in your, in whenever your book, I want to because whenever book. I want what I want to do in every what I want to do in every place is just look at these things and say like hang on you know we've been told this is this true and actually I kind of reject both those sides you know both the sort of conservative view that you can't change history and we should accept it. And the progressive activism, which is grossly distorting it as well, and I want to do both of those and just approach these things and try and get to what's right with the nuance, which is mm. what you're what you're talking about, and that has to be our duty as historians. Mm. And so in every case, I try and approach these things afresh and just show the context, you know, without necessarily spoon feeding the reader and telling them what yeah. they must think or must not think. But of course, the subject of slavery is hugely important and it runs through the book. And what you say about capitalism is true it was an important part of capitalism we don't know how important we'll never work out how important because there were other in, it wasn't the only industry in the capitalist world there was uh, manufacturing there was there were other things but obviously it was important and that's what I we can agree on that
2: Yeah I um, think I think it's because uh, when it uh, at that time when it was uh, at a the boom there were discovering sugar, yeah. it was the, the most popular commodity. And you, you, you had to use slaves, yeah. there, you understand? You had to. I think that's why. Yeah, was, that's
1: very important yeah. about the sugar. And that was at the center of the capitalist world. Mm. But it was also the capitalist world that abolished slavery. Of course. Every other system before the capitalist system had used slavery as well. So I'm just saying, you know, these things, I'm just taking you up on this, the nuances. Mm. But I just want to go back to what you said about women, because that's a really important part of this. I missed women in the books that I grew up reading, uh, the history books I grew up reading. And so I've included a lot of women. And of course, in African political culture, women are very important. There's a great tradition of matriarchy mm. and powerful queen mothers and so mm. on. And so they're all in here, Idia and all these people from all those West African kingdoms as mm. well. And people like Nzinga and people like, you know, so we've got a lot of fascinating women. Some of women you'll recognize very well, Mrs. Mm. Thatcher and Catherine mm. the Great and mm. so mm. on. And some are those who even African readers, even South African readers might not know so well. Another theme that is important, which I, you've also touched on um, a bit earlier, was that, you know, in this book, I didn't just want it to be about the big things in history, the great empires. You know, it's not just about the British Empire and the Russian and the Spanish Empire. I also wanted it to be about kingdoms that, again, even South African readers may not have heard of mm. in Southern Africa, that, like you've mentioned, mm. and how... Uh, the Mefakani worked in terms of how Southern Africa, how modern Africa was created. But this doesn't just apply to Africa. I mean, I didn't want it to be a victor's history. Mm. So it's, it's also about Albania. Mm. It's about Haiti. Mm. Mm. Um, it's about Hawaii. Mm. It's about Cambodia. That's why so, I would say it's so, very
2: comprehensive. Yeah,
1: so that's why I wanted it. But of course, I left out lots too. But these are the ones that I wanted to write about. Mm. But that's why I took pleasure in putting, you know, the Swazi people in here yeah. as well. I was going to go there. Yeah, Yeah. or, 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 you know, or the the Shona, or the Shona, or the Sutu. Mm. And they are never mentioned. It's always... I mean, one of you know everybody's heard of Shaka, and it's always it's always Shaka Zulu, yeah. and the Zulus did everything, mm-hmm. which is what you were saying. I
2: love that angle you took, and in introducing Shaka, and then you just concentrated on his mother instead, yeah. which is Queen Nandi. All of us are a little bit tired of hearing about Shaka. Yeah, and then you you even managed to teach me about other things about Queen Nandi I did not know. Which I appreciated. Well, that's, and, amazing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's <laughs> amazing. And of course, um, Mshweshwe. Also, you talk a lot. Okay, Mshweshwe in South Africa now is quite popular among the historians because we're trying to find a, a Banyan face mm. on the on the history books that was a great leader we are suffering from our leaderships and and all those things yeah. but and anyway was, and he was
1: amazing wasn't yeah, he yeah he was an amazing extraordinary uh, man person. of moral integrity and he should be and he and should be much stuff. more famous than, yeah, i mean he's smart, much more important than, Char- than shaka really yeah, i think
2: yeah, i think so myself yeah well i mean to to be honest uh it's also unfortunately part of uh, colonialism that uh, even in the south african history we end up concentrating too much on shaka because the the British were shocked when they were defeated at the Battle of Isandlwana, which mm. you you feature very well. Because it was a, a pe- perhaps I suppose a radical war, and then they they forgot about the earliest history because the people they contested against most were the Kozas. I mean, over seventy years yeah. they were in war with them. And I know, and I and you know <laughs> why I know
1: about that. Yeah, because <laughs> because we the reason why I know there's not enough Kosa history in here for yeah. you. Yeah, but. <laughs> But the fact that the Koza history is in here is because of you. That's nice. Um, yeah. You, you um, and, and actually one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation and why, I would, I, you know, it was nice to reunite with you is because you, that's why it's nice to meet writers from other, you know, it's nice to meet foreign writers. Yeah. Because when you tell me it told about that, and when you talked about that, it, it King's meme, mm. you influenced this book.
2: Oh, that's so wonderful to hear. And I know mm. you won't be satisfied. <laughs> I know
1: you're not satisfied with the, with how much there is. No, but in the
2: book, it's already big. But it's there. I but it's and, there. And there is enough. There yeah, is there's enough.
1: enough to know, and the yeah. names of key characters are in there. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. and this is thanks to you. Yeah. End of.
2: Thank you. I'm I'm very flattered. Another thing, you taught me a lot: the history of the Pharaohs. I did not even know much. Okay, I've heard on internet about the controversies, about the black pharaohs and how the, some other Egyptians uh, like uh, contest that. What is, what is the discussion there?
1: Well, I mean, I think the important thing to understand is the kings of Kush, who combined their own African culture with that of, the, that of pharaonic Egypt, and oftentimes and kind of merged their gods, merged their pantheons together. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing is that they did... They're really the first African empire that we know of. And they were a real empire, you know, in the sense that people talk about the sort of um, the empire of the Ghanas or the empire of money. But they were relatively, some of them were pretty small. Mm, but mm. This, was a, this was a massive empire. And it's very rarely covered from the sense of them being African, which I think is odd. So I wanted to correct that. But also it's in its position. It's the, you know, it wasn't, didn't last that long. But it was hugely important. Mm. And it was an African, you know, they kind of ruled from Sudan, all of Egypt, all of Sudan, Libya, pretty substantial African <laughs> empire that, 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 that is even being, most yeah. African nationalistic historians haven't Don't written it, about and they should.
2: And of course the excuse we give ourselves is that uh, Egypt, Morocco and partly Northern Sudan, we, we treat them as honorary Africans. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> In any way, uh, we get uh, before we close this uh, this discussion, which is for me had a good discussion. We, we, we can talk forever about this. We we'll get to your favorite uh, topic now. Let's talk about the Russian Empire. Oh yeah, <laughs> and and all that stuff because I know that uh, you were a, a journalist during uh, the Yeltsin, the fall of Yeltsin. And I was. And, yeah. And so and then incidentally, when your book uh, came into my table, I just finished. I hope I don't butcher her name, Savatana alechevich Second time, I learned so much about the 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 psyche of the of yes. this love from from her. I mean, both Ukrainians and Russians yeah, and all Belarusians yeah. and all that stuff. It was very very informative and a, a very well written. So when I, I was judging that the, the the topics you were talking about, I could see how well I researched and how well you know that topic. You talk about a brief history of that just before the fall of the USSR.
1: Well, I mean, I was very lucky to be there then. Mm. And I do think it's a great gift for a historian to Mm. see a real empire fall, Mm. you know, with his own eyes, Mm. his or her own eyes. So I was there in the early 90s. I saw... The Empire falling, I saw amazing things I, I saw awful things as well. Mm. That was for me a very happy and exciting time because mm. you know I'd studied the Soviet Union all my life and now it was it, I was seeing it kind of its end and it turns out that the, the fall of the Soviet Union wasn't quite as bloodless and calm as we thought mm-hmm. but but it was a great adventure for me to see these things I, I you know I sort of rode with warlords and was in battles and saw saw the nature of war. And of course, all of that is in the book. And the book ends on the day that Putin invades um, Ukraine. The book ends on that day with that. I mean, Putin is a character that fits, who fits very well into Russian history and wants to fit very well into, especially the history of the Romanovs, which, Mm. as you know, I've written Mm. about. He really kind of channels both the the most successful Romanovs, Mm. Peter the Great and Catherine the Great, and also Stalin, the most successful Russian ruler of the 20th century. And Mm. he's sort of... He's kind of channeling both those.
2: I can, I can, I believe that. So do you perhaps think that is the reason why Putin has such, uh, such a hold that we outside of Russia don't know the the, the, the psychological hold he has among uh, a lot of Russians? That many of them dream of the time when Russia was this powerful empire and the Tsarist regime perhaps. Somebody told me that uh, the Russians don't care about democracy. They want a strong leader. So well, they are always wanting a talk.
1: Well, the Russians have always seen themselves in an imperial way. I mean, since the sort of 18th century, certainly, which is quite a long time ago. Mm. But that, not that long in terms of world history. I mean, Russia was really created by Peter the Great. Russia as a sort of, as an expansive country, as a new concept, as an empire. I mean, when he, when he adopted the name Russia, then he invented the name Russia mm. um, from the Greek. From a, you know, it was a sort of Hellenized version of mm. Rus. He also took the title Imperator, the Roman title Imperator. And so Russia has always been seen through the lens of empire. That hasn't completely changed. And the Soviet Union was another version of the Russian Empire, of the Tsars. Stalin was the most successful of all the Mm. Russian rulers, Mm. emperors, if you like. And Putin grew up at the end of the second half of the Soviet Mm. um, Union. He aspires to that. And he's a good example, perhaps, of why you can have too much history. You say in your book, you wanted to
2: write a book that has a non-history, that shows humans and their polities as the complicated, flawed, inspiring entities they really are. Well, congratulations. This book has achieved that. And it, it deserves to be read slowly as a comprehensive history of our human history. Thank you. Very well. Congratulations. Well done. Thank you. Thank That's
1: you. so great. We're shaking hands, here, <laughs> which is a nice thing to do. Thank you
2: very much. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, The World, A Family History by Simon Sibak Montofia is available in all major bookshops in South Africa. Thank you very much. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of PageCast. We love hearing from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, please contact us at pagecastpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep reading and listening.